Hello, and welcome to the DMV Business Show, a weekly show where we get to meet local business and community leaders in the DC, Maryland, and Virginia area. They get to impact their story and how they got there. You can expect to hear advice and learn about their journey and how they went from point A to point B. My name is Odo Sevilla, and I'm a commercial real estate advisor in the local DC, Maryland, and Northern Virginia area. I have been very fortunate to have worked with many amazing entrepreneurs and executives, from startup founders to international Fortune 500 companies. And one of the things I love about what I do is I get to form these great relationships with some interesting people. I get to know them and I learn about how it all started. And I love hearing a good business story. When I'm not working in commercial real estate, I just also happen to be the host of this show. So please enjoy and welcome to the DMV Business Show. Hello everyone, welcome to the DMV Business Show. I'm your host, Odo Sevilla. And today we have a very special guest, Paige Lisk. Paige is the Chief People Officer of Veredo. Welcome to the show, Paige. Thank you, Odo, I appreciate you having me on this morning. Of course, the pleasure is all mine. So before we go into your personal story, if you could just give the audience a brief general overview of who is Veredo, please. Sure. It's Verado. Oh, so, I apologize, Verado. No okay. worries at all. No worries at all. Everybody, it's pronounced every, you know, for every human, there's a different pronunciation of it, but it is Verado. And um, so Verado is a mission-driven healthcare tech firm. And really what we do is we provide a single source of truth for patient data. You know how when you go to one doctor and they've sort of got the story about you and then you go to the next doctor and they have a little bit of a different story about you. Uh, so what Verado does is allows, um, you know, doctors and hospitals really across the whole healthcare continuum to have a better uh, story and better detail about who is the person that they're working with and who is their client to make sure that um, that person's data is right and valid. And now it's even moving into really exciting things like householding, so that if you were to call your doctor uh, to make an appointment, they could even start to look at something and say, hey, I see you have a son here. He's due for an annual checkup. Would you like me to schedule him at the same time? So it's really all about providing accurate patient data as a single source of truth. Oh, that's great. Does it also connect, for example, if you want to see this specialist here or there, does it connect all that as well? So it doesn't connect those two offices per se, but the data, yes, is the same data across the continuum. And that's really what's important, right? We've sure, heard sure. horror stories about people having the wrong leg operated on or, okay. or you know, bills not getting to the right house, whatever the, whatever the story would be. Uh, and so Verado is providing a platform uh, to get that data right. It's key. It's key to our health. It's key to providing better healthcare if you are the doctor of the hospital. Yeah. How, how long has Verado been around? Verado's been around for about nine years now. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Um, but you in this role as a chief people officer is freshly new, right? As far as you coming in? As far as me coming into Verado. So the role's not new. I have been in this role three times now, uh, but I am fairly new to Verado. I've been there about a quarter. Ah. <laughs> Well, welcome. Thanks. Been great. <laughs> yeah. Been a great uh, first quarter. Yeah. I can't wait to get into your role and, and everything you do there. But before that, I like to sort of rewind the clock back and just get the audience to get to know you as a person a little bit more. Are you originally from the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area? I am not. I'm originally from Texas, a town called Sugarland. You'll hear a twang come out on, on a word or two along the way. Okay, that's by, is it near Dallas or? Uh, so it's by Houston, just oh, outside Houston. of Houston. Okay, mm -hmm. okay. So uh, just just a little bit north of the Gulf uh, in Houston. And Sugarland is a, is a pretty big uh, suburb outside of Houston. If you were driving from one to the other, you'd never know you had crossed over. So how was it growing up in Sugarland? Hot. It was hot, but it was great. It was, it was sort of an idyllic place to grow up. I had a lot of family near, uh, and um, so it, it was lovely. My, my family is originally from Texas, both sides, uh, and so lots of aunts and uncles and grandparents and cousins around to grow up with. It was wonderful. Do you remember growing up? Like, what were you into? What did you like to do? 
So from an early age, I think probably even in church, um, I started singing and someone said to my mother at some point, you know, that girl could kind of sing. And so my mother took that up as her mantle and off we went. Um, I, I really, from, from the time I have, you know, my own memories, uh, all the way through college, frankly, and after uh, I sang, my very first career was as an opera singer. So um, I was into singing and acting and uh, hanging out with my friends. That's that's what I did growing up in Texas. Oh, wow. That's amazing, Paige. Are, 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 are we going to hear some tunes? We're not. <laughs> we're not going to hear any tunes, especially not at this hour of the day. Um, the older I get, the longer it takes. I can only sing at midnight now, it seems. But um, uh, yeah, it, it was it was a lovely, you know, it was sort of a lovely thing to have. It um, it it afforded me a lot of travel that I probably wouldn't have done. I sang a lot of competitions, did a lot of shows, so some local notoriety, I guess, if you will. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. I come from a, a huge family of musicians, so I'm not unique in that perspective. But I think the dogged way with which I sort of attacked it was a little unique. Uh, and got a actual, I, I hate, sounds like I'm tooting my own horn, but got a full ride to Rice University as the vocal performance major. Uh, and so it has, it has afforded me a lot of opportunities. That's great. Um, I'm sure back then there was an American Idol, right? There was not American Idol. <laughs> there was not pop singing. If you were going to go to college to sing, it was going to be um, classic training. And so that's opera. Uh, so yeah. Okay. So were you also, besides singing opera, were you also, you mentioned church, were you also singing in church and choir there? or Singing uh, in church, singing oh, in choir okay. at school, singing in external choirs, um, I sang with the Houston Symphony Orchestra. I mean, singing was what I did. It was sort of like, you know how, you know, when kids play sports today or uh, my daughter played AAU basketball and she plays lacrosse. And so uh, it's an all in thing, right? That was yeah. kind of my sport. Singing was kind of my sport. I was pretty all in. That's great, though. I I'm sure singing taught you a lot of things, especially growing up as a child and you would always have to practice. What are a few things you think that you, whether, I don't know, practicing the time and the effort put into it that you learned from it? Yeah, you know, I think discipline is one thing, right? So when a lot of other kids were hanging out at the pool, you were learning your music. I also played piano, so I was practicing there. So I think discipline's one. I think um, being able to kind of don a stage presence is another thing that's really kind of served me well in a lot of opportunities, even in corporate world, right? If you're a little nervous or if you're you know, feel like you're not quite prepared. When you walked out on stage, you had to sort of fake it till you make it. I hate to say that. Um, but, you know, and, and, I, and I think that's helped me in my corporate career as well. Just being able to kind of say, okay, it's showtime, whatever that show may be. It could be a board meeting. It could be just a regular meeting. Uh, but to be able to sort of pick yourself up and move forward and do what you got to do. You know, it's so true. And I'm glad you mentioned this, Paige. When you, you know, many people, they're not used to whether giving a presentation or a big conference and you're so used to being let's call it on stage and you just turn on that light switch you know it's on it's go time and that's right you that's perform exactly. that's it you got yeah. it yeah <laughs> i love that so you said you went through singing got you into college what you major in by the way at rice so vocal performance with a minor in political science uh and so i had to major in vocal performance with the scholarship so um went to school there in Houston. So Houston was really it. Um, and then after college sang a little bit and had been doing it for so long, Odo, that I at one point thought, you know what, I, I'm done. I, I don't want to do this anymore, right? I need to make a, a living. And, and what they don't tell you when you're 14 and practicing all day is that it's really hard to make a living as a professional singer, right? So that's a life lesson, right? You, you prepare and practice for your whole life. You get there and then you're like, hmm. I'm not so sure this is really what I want to do. So yeah. how do I pivot? Right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And this was this was after college in your 20s, right? That you, you after got college. Okay. Yeah. In my okay. in my 20s, I, I quickly learned or quickly said to myself, this is not what I want to do for the rest of my life. I've done it the first 20 years. I don't see myself not doing it the next 20 years. Uh, I knew I didn't want to completely walk away from it, right? But I knew that it was not how I wanted to make a living. And to be frank, I was a little bit lost. I mean, what is what does one do when that's all you're prepared for? Mm -hmm. um, and I had a good buddy that that said, hey, 
come sell computer training classes for me. And I don't want to date myself, but this was back in the day where I was like, yeah, I don't even know how to use one of those things, right? I mean, yeah. um, there was a time long, long ago where we didn't all have computers, right, at our <laughs> desks. And so, uh, but I didn't really have a lot of other options. I needed to make a living. And so um, that's kind of how I transitioned from the world of an opera singer into the working world uh, was I started selling computer training classes in Houston. Okay. Yeah. And, and you stayed around Houston and you did this for a while as far as selling computer classes? I did. I did. So I also learned quickly that as a salesperson, when you start hitting your goal, your leader starts changing the goal, right? They make the target further and further away. And I thought, well, I want to make more money. And so at the time, the people who were teaching the computer training classes, and I mean like Word and Excel and PowerPoint, were making more money than the salespeople. And so my buddy that owned this firm said, well, start teaching the classes. And I was like, okay, but remember, I don't know how to turn one of these things on. And he threw a book at me one day and said, go home this weekend and learn this and teach a class next week and see how you like it. And I did, I taught myself Excel 101 over the weekend and taught a class and here's where some of that stage presence come in, comes in, right? I was terrified um, that first morning to teach that class, but I sort of said, well, it's showtime. Um, I went in and you know it went pretty well and it sort of took off from there. So those sort of application classes soon became networking classes. Um, and I did that for a few years. And then I was poached by one of my clients in the energy industry to come lead a, a team for them and work on a project for them. I would say that sort of moved me into formal technical leadership, if you will. Um, and I did that for years, even through Enron. Okay, let's pause for the big gasp in the room. So I worked um, at a Shell and Enron in Houston, stayed with Enron through the rise and fall. And then, uh, and during Enron, I really got into trade floor technology. So I became um, sort of a leader of the, the, the technology team that was keeping the trade floor computers up and running and all of the software and all of that. Um, and that's where I really honed my craft, I would say. That's where I finally decided, oh, I'm a big girl and I actually am a technologist now, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not kind of still faking my way through it. And this was all still in Houston, right? All still in Houston. Um, after Enron fell, and we can talk about that on a different show, uh, I was sort of sold with all the traders to UBS Warburg. They just kind of lifted the whole operation, moved it over to a building. We kept working there. And then they wanted to move us all up to Stanford, Connecticut. But I was a Texas girl, right? So when they flew us up, it was exciting. Connecticut was beautiful, and there was hip, deep snow. And I thought, yeah, not for me. Um, and at that point, I thought, you know what, I want to do something that I've always wanted to do, which is I want to go to law school. So I sort of made a deal with UBS Warburg to close down the Houston office. I took my LSAT. I applied for law school. I got in and I had about four months to wait. And a girlfriend that I had worked with at Enron had moved up to Baltimore, Maryland, and she was the CIO at Constellation Energy. And she called me and she said, our trade for needs some help. I, I need you. And I'm like, no, no, I'm out of that business. I'm going to go to law school. She's like, yeah, but you've got four months. So just come up here and do some consulting for me. And I, and I, you know, sort of hemmed and hawed, didn't really want to do it, kind of wanted a summer off, but she's a pretty persistent gal. So we finally came to a deal and I drove up to Maryland, to Baltimore, and was going to consult for about three and a half months at that point. Um, during those three and a half months, I met my now husband just randomly here in the Baltimore area uh, and really fell in love with the company and the team Threw all my law school plans out the window and took a full time job with with Constellation. And so I guess that was almost 19 years ago now. So I've been in the, the Maryland area ever since. Oh, wow. OK. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, two episodes ago, I also had a, the CEO of Centility. He started in the energy business through Constellation. Oh, what's yeah. his name? Ryan. Ryan, great guy. He's episode. He's two episodes ago. I think he's eighty-one or eighty-two. Okay, I'll yeah. go check that out. Yeah, <laughs> great guy. So, were you at Constellation for a while, Paige? I was for a decade, and that's really oh, wow. where I moved from technology into human resources. So. 
after things got settled um, and I took a full-time job, was living here in the Baltimore area, was still in tech. And a few years in, I started raising my hand saying, hey, I wanna do something different than trade floor tech, right? I assumed that would mean I would go over to application development, which is kind of the other side of the house and kept kind of ringing that bell with my leaders. And one day my phone rings and it's the, the COO of Constellation, a lovely woman. And she said, hey, I need you to go over to human resources and help them with a transformation that they're doing that they are struggling with. And I was like, yeah, no, I don't really want to do that. And she was like, yeah, I'm not so sure I'm asking. And I was like, oh, okay. She said, look, I really just need some help here. I know you can do it. So I moved over to human resources as a, you know, sort of project manager, helping them with this transformation. And while I was doing the transformation, I started asking these questions, right? And, you know, do you have a business office? No. Do you have a project management office? No. So I sort of raised my hand and said, well, while we're doing this transformation, which was a couple of year project, why don't we set up a business office and a project management office and sort of run human resources like we run tech because it's working pretty well. Yeah. So they agreed. And so I started doing all of that and we got through the transformation um, and, and I just assumed I was going back to tech and our chief human, re human resources officer at the time pulled me into his office and he said, I think you have a knack for this. And you, you kind of think about this differently than those of us who have sort of grown up in the human resources profession. And I'd like you to stay. And I thought, huh. yeah, well, I had never really thought about that before, right? It had, had never crossed my mind that I would stay in human resources. And I thought about it and I talked to my husband. Our daughter was like two or three at the time. And um, I was kind of feeling that pang of school again. And so I decided I would stay and I took on leading one of the major branches, the shared services operations and, um, and went to graduate school uh, to get an MBA. And, and I will say there was no way I could have done that in a technology role, right? They just, especially a trade floor tech role, which never stops. Um, so I was really thankful to have that opportunity in human resources, which is busy, but you know, you don't typically get a call at 3 a.m. Um, in those roles. And so that was sort of how I moved um, unexpectedly from tech into human resources. Paige, how long were you in the HR side of things when you got presented that permanent position to remain there? So I had been working with them on that project for probably 19 or 20 months okay. Um, okay. and then moved into the formal role where I um, was managing shared services across the organization. Um, and I did that for about three years. Uh, and then Exelon came in um, and, and bought Constellation. You've heard that story, I'm sure, two podcasts ago. Uh, and I was asked to lead that HR um, transition through that mm -hmm. acquisition. At the same time, I picked up my phone one day at my office and it was a headhunter from PayPal calling. I told him I was not interested. He was also a pretty persistent guy. And he said, you know, just talk to this one leader. I know the two of you are really going to hit it off. And I've already kind of told them about you when I saw your profile and they really want to talk to you. So I said, okay. So, you know, took a phone call there, long and winding story again. Um, I was offered a position to head up HR for PayPal credit, which is a sort of a business inside of a business. Mm -hmm. Also based in Maryland, not out in San Jose. Uh, this business had been formed through an acquisition. So I stayed with with Constellation now Exelon until the day the deal closed. And then I resigned. And then I started working at PayPal as the head of HR for their credit business, which was a wonderful job. It, that was really where I would say sort of cut my teeth in human resources by, you know, we, we grew a business from a US-based business to a global business. So hiring across the globe and building offices across the globe and working with a, just a really strong leadership team. Oh, wow. And that was all based here out of Baltimore. All based out of Baltimore. Lots of trips to San Jose, but all based here out of Baltimore. And then uh, some time globally when we were hiring and building offices as well. Okay. Uh, Paige, curious, when you left the tech side at Constellation and went to HR, how was that transition for you? You know, I think it was made easier for me by that project, right? That transformation project, because all along while I was working in HR, I kept just assuming I would go back to tech. 
So it's not like there was ever really one day where I was no longer tech and now I was human resources, right? Mm -hmm. I guess that happened probably 20 months into it when they asked me to stay. So the transition was okay. You know, I've never stopped thinking like a technologist. And every company that I've worked for, whether it be in energy or in uh, pure tech uh, or in healthcare tech, have all been tech firms, right? So mm-hmm. I like to make sure I stay close to the tech. Uh, and and I think that's maybe was hidden um, all those years when I was singing. Although if you read articles, right, they say that a lot of a lot of computer programmers are musicians. And so maybe it wasn't so far afield at the time, but I think somewhere in me has always been that technologist. Why do you think technologists, I guess, what makes them think differently than let's say people in HR or just other people in different departments? I think from an HR perspective, you know, I I had the benefit of being on the other side. I had the benefit of being the client of HR. If you grow up in human resources, you don't ever really see the other side. But I was taking services from human resources many years before I ever joined human human resources. And so while I always had great partners, it was evident pretty early on, even in Houston, that my HR partners didn't really understand technology we're struggling to find technologists the right kind that we needed. So I, I sort of had an advantage, I think, of being able to see it from the other side. And so I approach human resources as a client, not as a practitioner. And so from a policy perspective or a process perspective, or a where do we need to focus you know, our attention? Mm-hmm. Um, I really think about that as a customer of the services that I provide versus as a service provider. I think that's what makes it a little bit different for me. No, and that's a great example, just putting yourself in the shoes of that end user, that client or customer and how they see it and what can you improve and change. That's right. Yes, yeah. that's true. Okay. And you were in PayPal for a while? PayPal for about five years, just under five years. Loved the job, was not looking. Um, got a phone call. So you'll remember the the friend that had brought me into Constellation. Yes. She called one day randomly and said, we were no longer working together and said, I have a buddy that has a company and they're looking for their very first ever head of HR. And I know you don't want that job, but can you help them? Can you have a conversation with them just to help them understand what it is he should be looking for? So I said, sure, happy to have a conversation. Had a call with the gentleman, an hour call went like two and a half hours. At the end of the call, he said, you're my person. And I said, (laughs) I'm not your person, right? But I'm happy to help in any way that I can. So, and and his business had been around at that time for 10, 15 years, but their lawyers had always just sort of done the HR stuff, right? But now they had so many people that they really needed somebody focused on people and not just the policy. So I helped them sort of find a firm that could help them find a human resources person, helped them kind of put a job description in place. And then I went on about my business. And about six months later, my phone rang and that entrepreneur founder called me and he said, okay, I've done as you asked. I've met every HR person in the moon and I still think you're my person. And, you know, I laughed and we joked and I said, no, but if you're not finding the right person, let me figure out how to help you do that. Right. I just, I loved my job at PayPal and just was nowhere interested in going to work for the, at the time, what was this small tech firm? Sure. And so we did a little bit more massaging and finally he called again. And, you know, I honestly think I just couldn't find a graceful way to say no again. Right. And, and so what I said was, well, let's put me through the process you know, make me go through the same process that all of these other people have gone through. And then we'll see where we land. So I came home that night and I told my husband, my husband's an accountant. And he said, you're doing what? You're going to, yeah, I mean, cause I'm at PayPal, right? Which was blown yeah. up at the time. And, and I said, yeah, I'm not interested in this company. I just, I really can't, he's really persistent. I can't figure out how to say no gracefully. Paige, and, and at this time, this company's around what size? This at tech this company. time, I think there was about 150 people. Okay. All right. right. So they house like thousands. Oh, oh, tens of thousands global, right? This is 150 people uh, in Baltimore, although they also did have Portland, Oregon. They had a pretty big office in Portland, Oregon. Nike was one of their big clients. So I went through the process 
which was a normal process. My last two things were, I was supposed to have a panel interview with the employees in Baltimore. I show up to this thing, 15 people are in the room, employees of this small company, and they're asking me questions. And it was the most difficult interview I'd ever been through, but it was a fantastic interview. And so I walked out of there and I was to get on a plane and fly to Portland and do the same thing. I go into Portland and there's like 20 people in the room. And again, asking me really tough questions like, why would you ever leave PayPal to come here? <laughs> or what can you bring to this company that we're not already getting from legal, right? Mm -hmm. Oh no, I walked out of that interview in Portland, called my husband and said, if they offer me the job, I'm gonna take it. And he was like, okay, let's talk about it when you get home. They offered me the job. I took it. It was an absolute leap of faith, but it was the mission of that company. And that company um, trains people who come from a non-traditional background in how to write software code. And so they take people who may or may not have a college degree, um, who may or may not ever have had a professional job. They have an assessment they put them through. If the person does well on that assessment, they um, put them in a six month training and they teach them how to write code. And then they move them into corporate America. And this changes people's lives. The median income at the time of somebody joining our program was $27,000. In five years, 100% were making 95,000 or better. Think about how that changes that individual, their family and those around them. And so it was the mission and the actual employees at that company that just really opened my eyes, got to my heart. I'm not going to lie. That was a heartfelt decision. Um, I left a job that I loved at PayPal and joined that company and was there for five years as their chief people officer and um, chief strategist in the end as well. And uh, just loved every minute of my time at that firm. And that firm, was that the, the first time you officially had the CPO title, Chief People Officer? It was. I was head of HR for like an under business at PayPal. Uh, and so I had the Chief People Officer um, title at this new firm. They were the first I'd ever heard of that. It was a bunch of software developers. So the day that I joined, they gave me a coffee mug that said C3PO. Chief People Officer C3PO, right? Uh, and so I still have that mug and love that mug. Um, but they really were focused on what do our employees need, right? We've got lawyers that can write policies and you know we'll figure out the process. But you're here, Paige, because we, we really need to help these people move not only into corporate America, but how do they move from what may have been a service industry job or what may have been high school into this professional space, right? What do we need to do differently for our people? So it was a fantastic job because I wasn't really having to worry about payroll and benefits. All that was important and it got done and we made sure it got done. But I really got to envision and partner with our employees to figure out what they needed to move along this continuum where they were getting these new skills um, and they also needed maybe new behaviors. We had employees who had never had a bank account. Um, you know, we had employees who, who had lived with their parents their whole lives and didn't know how to find their own housing. So it was really helping people across the continuum of being a human, not just being an employee. And that was so rewarding and so exciting. And you said you were there for five years? I was there for five years, great run, um, a lot of good opportunities. So the founder took a step back there. We brought in a new CEO. That was a great learning experience. Uh, I also was managing expansion. And so we went from two offices to seven, um, led to acquisitions, partnered in those. So I got to do a lot of sort of different kinds of, of, of HR learning at Catalyte. Um, and then left there in 2020. Okay. Yeah. The, the, that's interesting. So from two offices, you said to seven? Two offices to seven, absolutely. Where we were holding these training um, sessions in cities all over the U.S. 
Okay, so they were in-person trainings. They were not online or on the in cloud. In-person okay. training, absolutely. Okay. Six months, Monday through Friday, nine to five. So think about that. You are giving up six months. A lot of people were, you know, driving Uber at night or doing deliveries or working at, uh, you know, big box stores at night, stocking shelves to get through that, um, investing in themselves. Uh, and I will say during the pandemic, that company figured out how to pivot and do everything online so as not to lose the momentum. Sure. So that's interesting. So you come in there, you as a student, let's call it, you you pay for the tuition, right? Is that how you it don't works? pay? You oh, don't, you don't. You don't pay. Okay. You're not paid during training, although I think they've pivoted that too and have found some some sourcing to be able to pay people. Mm -hmm. But you did not have to pay for that training, uh, and so you had to agree to work for the company once you graduated for a couple of years, uh, but nothing out of pocket. Okay, so once you graduate after a six month program, they find you employment somewhere, right? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Working okay. on a um, uh, software development team so that you're not just stuck out in the middle of nowhere, right? Because sure. there's a lot to learn about that other than just learning how to write code. So yeah. Okay, and, and I guess with their, let's say your first year, you're making whatever 50, 100, somewhere in between. And then I guess then that's how they make their money. They get a portion of your annual salary the first year or something. I don't know. They get their whole annual salary their first year. Yeah. Okay. I mean, we are, um, you know, they're paid a salary whether or not they were actually working at a client. And so then, of course, the company was taking, uh, you know, a, a, a markup, I guess, if you will, when we placed people at a client. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I understand. And yeah. you said you left there in 2020. Le middle of the pandemic, um, it was just time. You know how sometimes, even though I love the company, I love the mission, I knew it was just time for me to go, just something inside. Now, you know, uh, I'm again, not gonna tell my age, but here I was, a, a, what I'll say, a younger middle-aged woman in the middle of a pandemic. And again, I announced to my husband, I, you, you'll see a trend here, right? And he, if he were here, he would say, oh yeah, we've got a trend with this. I think I'm, I think I'm done here. I think it's time to, for me to figure out what I want to do next. And he was like, well, what does that mean? And I said, I, th I think I'm resigning. And he was like, okay, well, when are we resigning? And I said, I think tomorrow. <laughs> and, and he's like, okay, all right, do what you got to do. Very supportive, very supportive. Right. Um, and so I, I called the CEO the next Next morning and I said hey look you know I am feeling led to be elsewhere I don't know where that is but I think my time here is has wound down they were lovely you know tried everything to try to get me to stay but he understood that it just was time um and and I stayed on as, as an advisor with them for several months after um and I had planned to take a few months off to figure out what it was that I wanted to do uh, before I had even actually technically left that firm, another friend had called. So you'll also hear a theme here, right, about networking and leveraging your network and being available to your network. A friend called and said, hey, uh, she and I had worked at PayPal together. I'm at this company. They really need to think about human resources differently. I've told them about you. I don't know what you're doing in life. If nothing else, will you come in and have a conversation with the president? And I said, well, as luck would have it, I'm in transition. I'll be happy to have a conversation. So had a conversation with the president of this next firm. And this was a healthcare tech firm. I didn't know anything about healthcare except how to spell it. It was about 500 people at the time, uh, US-based. And they had been around for 20 years, $120 million company. And he said, look, we know we need a head of HR. But we don't really know what that means for us. So we're talking and at the end of the talk, you know, I'm sort of telling him what I would be looking for. He said, okay, well, we're also looking at an M&A event and we don't know what we're doing from an HR perspective. Would you be willing to consult with us just to kind of get us through that? You know, we're, we're mid-event, we've got all the lawyers we need. I'm just not sure we're thinking about what we need to do for the people side. And I said, sure, happy to do it. So as I leave the one company, I start consulting for this other firm. A few weeks in, I get a call and he says, we want you to join us. And I said, no, I'm not, I'm just not ready to do that. I'll be happy to continue consulting. Continued consulting, the M&A event in effect did not happen. So we were winding that down and, and the founder and president called and said, we really want you to join us. We've worked with you now. We think that, that you would be great for the company. 
as I said, I was sort of a younger middle-aged woman who had walked out of a perfectly good job in the middle of a pandemic. And, and I thought, well, maybe this is the proverbial something falling in your lap, right? And so um, I did join that firm as their head of HR. Um, and uh, as I said, you know, long-standing company had a lot, you know, policies and payroll and benefits, all of that stuff was ticked and tied. They were really looking at sort of organizational design, how do we best set this up? Um, and the, the HR team itself really, in my opinion, needed some empowerment, right? They were sort of like baby being kept in the corner, if you will, right? Like make sure we get paid, make sure we have benefits, but don't think outside of the box. And so I was only with that firm for about 15 months. Ultimately, I decided it was not the right fit for me culturally. But during that 15 months, we did a lot of good work around um, thinking outside of the box and sort of moving things into this millennia from a people perspective and empowering that HR team to be able to stand up and say, we've been doing this this way for 10 years. Nobody does it this way anymore. We really should be focusing this way, right? To be competitive and to have a better value proposition for our employees. And so I'm proud of the work that, that I did there. But um, that and did the exact same way the one before had with me in a lacrosse game with my husband telling him, you know, I took this job because I out of personal fear from the pandemic. Um, and I and I think it's not the right next for me. And he said, Yeah, I, I think I've been feeling that too. He had heard, you know, he sort of knew what was going on. So sure. kind of opted again crazily to walk out of, you know, what my dad would say is a perfectly good job. Uh, uh, to try to figure out what was going to be next for me. And then hold on, Paige, let me guess. You get a phone call, someone from Moreto saying, hey, can you help out? This is a situation. I did get a phone call. Oh, no, <laughs> I did. It was not from Verado. Okay. It was from, okay, here's a funny story. So remember when I was sort of leaving PayPal to go to the tech firm? Yes. And I said, put me through that same process that all your other candidates are doing. They were using a search firm at the time. Okay. And the guy that led that search for that company was the guy that called out of the blue, had not talked to him in seven or eight years. And he said, what are you doing? And I said, I just resigned from my position. I'm taking six months off. Whatever you have it, I want to hear about it. Call me in March. This was last early November. And he said, ah, that's kismet. I don't have six months. I don't even have six weeks. I have a company, Verado. I'd never heard of it. It's healthcare tech. I think that you and the CEO are really going to hit it off. Will you have a conversation? And I said, I really need some time off, right? You see a pattern here, right? Where I keep wanting this time off and I don't get it. And he was like, Paige, you know, I, just have one conversation. That's how they get you. That's how they hook me. Just have one conversation. <laughs> And I did. And um, so Clay, Clay Ritchie is the CEO uh, of Verado. And I talked one afternoon, really kindred spirits from how we think about people and, and people as part of a company, right? One of the things, one of the first things Clay said to me, and I've heard other people say this, but he lives it, is I take care of my employees. My employees will take care of my customers. My customers will take care of my shareholders. He said it. I kind of laughed. He lives it. And I really believe that that's what we need to do, especially in this volatile people market, right? We really have to respect our employees. They need to know that they have accountability and if not technical ownership, certainly ownership of how we get work done. Um, and so Clay and I talked and Two weeks after I left the last firm, I sort of did a soft join at Verado last December just to kind of get the lay of the land and then really started in earnest in January. And well, it's been great. I also love, Paige, how recently we were talking offline, how this title, CPO, Chief People Officer, has, is somewhat new in the industry. You know, before HR has been around for a long, long time. It used to be called personnel. Yeah, yeah. But now with the CPO, it almost puts the people in the organization and the person with this title at the same level with the other C-level executive, whether it's COO, CEO, CFO, CMO, 
Now you have the CPO there. And just the people, like you just said, that it just starts with the people. That's number one. That's it the is. start. It, you know, and, and when I joined Verado, you know, people were like, okay, so what is this chief people officer? It's the first time Verado has had a head of HR, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the CFO used to run human resources and he did a fantastic job. He had a great team. I have a great team. Um, but, you know, employees were like, what is this chief people officer? And, and the way I explain it really is, you know, human resources is a services provider. They provide benefits. They provide, we provide payroll. We provide policy. But your chief people officer is the partner to the business. It's planning the people strategy for the business. You, you plan a product strategy. So why wouldn't you plan the people strategy, right? Um, and, and so I partner with the business to deliver the number one asset that we need to make any business run, which is our people. And so if you ask me, I have the best job of all of those C's. <laughs> I, I love that. Have, have things changed now with COVID as far as how you're approaching with dealing with people, working with people there internally? Yeah, I think, you know, I, you know, some people say corporate America. I, I think, you know, business, global business has changed. Um, and, and, and business really has moved beyond COVID. That doesn't mean that we're not still, you know, being safe and ensuring that our employees are taken care of. But, but from uh, getting business done, we have had to sort of get beyond that we're a mid-pandemic, right? Because businesses couldn't continue to be constrained by that once we got to a place where walking out of your home wasn't putting your health, you know, at risk. And so we're having to imagine it, Rado, like many other businesses, what does it look like to be remote first? Verado hired local to its headquarters in McLean, Virginia, and its tech um, center in Merida, Mexico before, before the pandemic. So if you worked for Verado, you were pretty much in one of these two locations mid-pandemic, right? We now hire across the U.S. and across Mexico. And so we have to re-envision what does that look like? How do people communicate and collaborate? How do we make sure that everyone belongs, mm-hmm. right? When, when most of the way we're seeing them is through the screen like you and I are. And so we're having to re-envision that. Every company is. We're having to take a look now at meetings. You know, people can't be on screens all day, every day. So we're taking a look at no meeting Tuesdays, right? And having focus hours where people can turn off Slack and stop looking at email and not plug in and do their focused work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, I absolutely think it's a great question. And yes, we're having to rethink what it looks like. What do you recommend someone could do any size company, small or large, as far as if they don't want to, most of the people are now going remote, not everyone, of course, but they don't want to lose that culture, that connectedness with the team. What are some things they can do? Number one, I would say is listen to the team. Employees tell you what they need, right? And what they're not getting. But as leaders at all levels, we have to be willing to listen to that. The second thing is involve the employees in the decision-making and the ideas. So we have launched a team at Verado called People in Motion. These are 15 people across the organization, both in the US and Mexico, who become an extension of our human resources team. And they help us listen. They bring ideas to the table. If there's new things, uh, like there's a new wellness tool that we're about, uh, that we're interested really in sort of rolling out to our employees. Uh, It's kind of this cool thing, like seven minutes of mindfulness. Like when people are just stressed out or fatigued, they can go do a video for seven minutes just to kind of help them refocus or, or a seven minute yoga class. I mean, this, this, this tool's pretty cool, uh, but I don't want to roll that out if the employees don't need it. So the first thing we're going to do on this people in motion team is try that out. Right. So um, listen to the employees because they're going to tell you what they need or what they don't need or what they have or don't have. And then involve the employees in the ideas and decision-making. I cannot as one person, understand what everybody needs. I also don't think like a 25 year old or like a 65 year old, right? We need people that represent all walks of our employees, helping us to make the decision for what the employees need and how to make their 
workspace and work life one that they are running to instead of running from? It's it's so interesting you're mentioning this. I was just having a conversation with my wife, who's an accountant, a tax accountant at a tech firm. Okay. And they just recently went through an acquisition. A private equity firm just acquired them. And for the first time ever, this global tech firm offices all locally here, all over the country, Barcelona, London, everywhere, um, got their first CPO, chief people officer. And I'm talking with my wife and I'm like, are things changing? She's like, it's great. They're doing surveys. They're listening and asking us what we want. And they're incorporating some activities because the tech company is now mostly remote. Um, they have a huge global team also in India. And it's, it's very interesting. Everything you just mentioned, my wife is telling me also that their new CPO is implementing about, you know, sending surveys, listening to people, feedback. What do you want? What are you looking for? What can we do? What can we change? That's great. Yes. And, and I applaud that. I, I applaud that company's new CPO. <laughs> it's, it, it's the same thing. It's almost the same playbook. Um, that's great. I, I'm very happy to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm happy to hear that for your wife's firm. That's great. <laughs> Yeah. What would you say drives and motivates you, Paige? You know, what drives me personally is my family. Just, I was, you know, very early on, my parents instilled a really strong work ethic, right? You know, do what you say you're going to do, show up, suit up, do what you say you're going to do. Um, so I sort of had that instilled in me early on. You also learn that as a singer, right? You know, there's just, you, you don't really get to have a bad day if there's a performance. So you got to kind of get up and put on a smile and, and do that. Um, what motivates me is seeing peers and colleagues grow and learn and build the careers they want for their families. You know, I think we often lose track I was I was speaking to a women's group not too long ago, and somebody said, you know, what made you want to get up and be the best chief people officer ever? And I stopped and I said, you know, I work really hard at my craft and I make I make sure that I'm given 200 percent. But my goal is not to be the best chief people officer. I hope I'm a really good one. My goal is to be the best human I can be, you know, to get up every day and help others around me because that's really what it's all about, right? At some point, this career will end, you know? Um, I'll miss it. I'm a little bit of a chaos and workaholic, I think, a little bit, self-diagnosed. But I hope that people remember me as a good person, a good friend, a good colleague, a good partner, far more than I hope that people remember me as a good chief people officer. So I think what that what motivates me in the morning is to get up, do my best and help others to be their best as well. I love that. You mentioned family in quite a few occasions. You mentioned your husband several times, the accountant. <laughs> the accountant. <laughs> yes. And it sounds like he's been throughout your whole, through your life and your career, a great sounding board. He, so I married pretty late in life by standard, really late in life by Texas standards, but pretty late in life by normal <laughs> standards. Um, and he, so I had an established career, um, before we met and, and I'm a pretty stubborn person, right? I come by that. Honestly, my husband has just been the best support. And I, you know, I'll tell you a little joke. Um, one of the days when it just occurred to me, oh my gosh, this is my guy. This is my person. We were in a kitchen kind of having a little spat. Or, I mean, it wasn't a fight, but a little spat. Mm -hmm. And he turned around and he said, you know, you're not the CEO of the house. And I whipped my head back and I started laughing, right? Like he called me on my stuff, right? And I thought, oh my gosh, this guy, yeah, he gets me, you know, he, he gets me. Um, and so a huge supporter, he works twice as hard as I do in his craft and his trade. Um, but is a great family person, a wonderful dad. I haven't mentioned my daughter. If she listens to this, she's going to be upset. Uh, she is 18 and graduating from high school in a couple of months. And I'm going to give her a plug. She's going to go play lacrosse for Loyola University here locally. So we are thrilled about that. But he is a wonderful father. He 
takes care of, of all of us and he um, is a great partner. We laugh through the hard times. Humor sort of gets me through life, all parts of life. Um, I use it in business too. And uh, he can make me laugh like no other. So I'm, I'm glad that you sort of made me pause there. Yeah, he's a great, great friend and partner. That's good to hear. You mentioned your daughter. Is this the same daughter that also plays basketball? She does. So okay. Sporty Spice is what I jokingly call her. All of that comes <laughs> from her dad. She um, plays basketball, but lacrosse is her number one. So she played varsity basketball as a point guard. She's a defender in lacrosse. And as I said, was recruited to um, go play for Loyola. Her team, I'm going to give them a shout out. They're number one in the nation right now. And we're in playoffs. So it's an exciting week. But yeah, we're a busy family and, you know, going in a million different directions, but um, music, we're all, we all love music. Uh, they're going to kill me that I say this, but we do sing-alongs in the car sometime. Uh, my daughter will now deny that to all of her friends, but, you know, we get through it however we can. I think we're a really good team. Well, that's great. That'll be perfect for you and her. Maybe you can open a, a joint TikTok account. Right? Right? <laughs> Except I'm not allowed. I, I'm just not cool looking on TikTok. She's all about it. But, oh, come uh, on, Paige. But yeah, she and her dad have done a couple. But yeah, I just, I kind of look like what I look like doing a TikTok. It doesn't so much work. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Fun to watch them, though. Oh, gosh. It sounds like throughout your career, I'm seeing a pattern as far as you're getting calls with opportunities. And it sounds like you have a pretty vast network and it's important to have a, a great network. How did you go about developing that? And maybe what are some suggestions if someone's listening to this, that the way they can think differently when it comes to the, their network or what they can do? Yeah. So, and I think about this a little bit differently than others. I am not one to go build a network. Mm -hmm. I don't set out to go build a network. I have colleagues that do and they're, they're fantastic at it, right? And they work hard at this craft, my network has been built organically just through colleagues and friends and former coworkers. I'm, I'm in touch with people way back from, oh, I'm still in touch with people I went to college with and then every job forward. Um, and this is where that, you know, being the best human I can be sort of comes in. It's, I'm not going to say that all these people are my best friends, but I have genuine, genuine relationships with my network. And I think that's what has afforded me opportunity, right? That, that, that people know not just Paige, the chief people officer, but, but Paige, the person. And so when they do reach out, it's generally been, Hey, I know your personality. I know this person's personality, or I know their need. I think it'd be a good match, right? Which is a little bit different than, you know, utilizing a LinkedIn network for your next position. I have a big LinkedIn network. I'm not saying anything about that, but I, I grow mine organically just through the relationships I'm building versus seeking out a specific network that I'm going to build. You know, if someone's at this company and they're at this company, then they're at another company. How do you keep in contact and communication with your colleagues, former colleagues? A lot of it is LinkedIn. We just talked about LinkedIn, right? Okay. It's a great tool and that if somebody moves around, you know, it, you know, you'll get a pop-up or whatever you can kind of keep up and it mm -hmm. gives you an opportunity to go send them a quick note. A lot of it too is just, you know, we're, we're keep, keeping in touch about family. Not, it's not about the job, right? What are your kids doing? Oh, I saw your, your husband here. Oh, I, whatever. So, um, you know, I, for better or worse, work and life just are sort of are fluid now, right? They just blend because we don't have nine to fives. Nobody does. Nobody has a nine to five anymore. And so, you know, you're, you're at dinner with your friends and family and you run into a coworker, you're going to introduce them, right? It's just very fluid. And so I kind of go with that. Some people rage against that machine. Mm -hmm. I, I kind of go with that. I, it's too hard for me to keep that all compartmentalized anymore. I do. It just makes things much easier. Yeah. It just, just to be open. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Are, are there any specific habits or traits that you have that you feel have helped you, whether personally or in your business career? Um, both personally and professionally. I think I don't shy away from new opportunities. Um, I don't always seek them, but when they come my way, I'm generally fairly open to sort of exploring to see what that is. I think also, so there's an adage out there that I can't take credit for that 
that a, a man will apply for a job if he is, you know, 50% of the way qualified for that job. A woman won't apply for a job unless she's 110% of the way qualified that. for that. Women also don't advocate for themselves very well. We just are taught to be sort of keep your head down, work hard, you'll be noticed. As I've gotten older and maybe a little bit rusty, right, with, as I get older, I've decided that that is just wrong. Women, we're doing it wrong. If you're listening to me right now, we have got to get better at this, right? So A, learn to fake it till you make it. I, I will openly say when I transitioned to human resources, I did that. When I got my first chief people officer job, I did that. When I moved into healthcare, I knew the role, but not the industry, I did that get comfortable with faking it till you make it. That does not mean lie. That does not mean say you know something you don't. What that means is take a leap for the opportunity and then go do the work to learn what it is you need to learn at the same time. So advocate for yourself such that, you know, we don't have to know everything to go apply for that next job. Advocate for yourself such that you don't have to take a VP title if you know you're qualified for a chief title. Because trust me, no guy I know would take a VP title just because no one actually offered the chief title, right? Mm -hmm. He would say, well, what about a chief title? And as women, we're not comfortable for that, but I've gotten, if not comfortable with that, I've gotten to where I'll do it. Even in that discomfort, I will advocate for myself. And I you know, would be happy to talk to any woman who is listening to my voice right now that doesn't know how to get herself there. I will be your cheerleader and I will help coach you to get there because, you know, we are just not going to be seen as equal until we act as equal. And so we've got to do away with some of that stereotypical stuff we're taught very young to be able to swim in these waters effectively. Great advice. <laughs> Thank you. What's your biggest challenge with your role as CPO today? There are two. A, the change of pace and the chaos of change is ever present, right? And so employees are fatigued. They're exhausted. You know, they've got a day job and then we're changing a leader. We're changing a font color. I mean, whatever it is, there's just change everywhere, right? It's ensuring that we're applying the practice of change management, which is not communication. That's a part of it but applying the practice of change management to these changes such that we're thinking about how are these changes impacting our employees? What are they having to do differently and learn differently to adopt and accept this change? Oh, by the way, you've got 30 things coming at them at once. We've got to help them manage the pace. The pace is not going to go away, right? So as humans, we've got to learn how to better help others manage that pace and consume all of this change. That's hard. I don't see that going away. The second thing in today's employee demographic is meeting the needs of 21-year-olds and 72-year-olds within the same company, right? People are working longer and they're in the workforce earlier and they all have different needs, wants, and expectations. And so how do we as a company meet all of those people where they need to be met and we're listening to all of them and they're all owning and taking part in the decision making i think those two things are the most difficult right now um one that is difficult is managing just this crazy volatile market but that sort of ebbs and flows throughout the years so that comes and goes and it is manageable the other two are probably what keep me up at night if anything does are you able to manage and accommodate those two needs from two different demographic groups like the 21 year old, for example, and the 72 year old? Yeah, it takes effort. Right. And it just and you have to listen to what are those needs. And, and you also have to know you're not going to make 100 percent of the people happy 100 percent of the time. But in those areas where some group is not going to necessarily like the decision, you have to explain the decision. Mm -hmm. and be open and transparent and say, we heard these five asks. We can only meet these three, and here's why. And here's our plan for the other two, or maybe we'll never meet those, right? The pace of change, it's really helping the organization build that muscle to, to take the time 
for the change management, it's really hard to do. So many competing priorities. But we've just seen over and over again that if we fail on that and miss on that, the good changes we're trying to get across, right, get over the hurdle, they just never clear, right? Because people just can't keep taking in new information without the tools they need to help absorb that, learn that, and then move forward. That's true. What do you know now, Paige, you wish you would have known at the start of your career? Nobody cares if you fail. It's not about the failure. It's about how you get back up, right? Mistakes are going to happen. You're going to fail. If you think you're not, you're not taking big enough risks and big enough chances. I'm speaking directly to my women there, by the way. And so risk, risk is always there. Understand what the risk is. Have a mitigation plan. But you're going to fail. And when you do, it's okay. It's all about how you get up right? What are you going to do with that failure? What are you going to learn from it? How quickly are you going to stand up and get beyond it? If I had known that when I was 20, I think my, you know, I would have saved myself a lot of pain. And I think the other thing, which did not come until well into my tenured career is, you know, it really is about life. It's not about the job. And give all that we can give to that, but that's part of our life. And so let's not lose that construct and vision that every. comes with age and wisdom, I think. Coming to an end here now, did you have any mentors throughout your career? And if so, what did you learn from them? Yeah, I have had formal and informal mentors throughout my career. I would say my dad's probably my first mentor. Um, my mom too, differently. My mom just was a great example of discipline and sort of keeping it all down. She was one of those moms that worked a full time and could still sort of Martha Stewart in the household, right? I've given that up years ago. I, can't, I cannot do the most. Um, but they were always there for me. So early, early, they were my mentors, whether it was singing or school or, or what have you. And then as I moved into my career, um, I have had a formal mentor, a gentleman that, um, that I met uh, in the energy industry who had come out of the military. He was a very senior military guy, and he kind of took me under his wing when we worked together on a project and has kept me there. Uh, and while I've not laid eyes on him in more than a decade, I would not hesitate to pick up a phone now and say, hey, I'm thinking about this. What do you think? Or, hey, this just happened. What, what's the advice that you've given me, uh, that you would give me? Um, and then throughout the way, there's just been informal mentors, right? Um, and I'm also big into a reverse mentor uh, concept right now that I've applied at a couple of companies. So when, when social media really started to weave its way into our work world, right? I didn't know anything about social media. I mean, I got Facebook, right? I'm the Facebook generation, but Twitter and Insta and all snaps and all these other things that I'm probably saying wrong right now, I didn't know anything about. And so I found a person in my organization and I was the chief people officer at the time. And I said, I need to start using social media as part of our employment branding. I don't even know what it is. Would you mind meeting with me 30 minutes a week or every other week, whatever you can do and teach me and show me what other people are doing? And they were happy to do it. So what I would say is if you're a little more tenured in your career and there's some new tools or tricks or whatever, go ask the people that know how to use them. Don't sit in the corner and pretend you knew how or go try to read some magazine about it. Uh, so I am a huge proponent of both mentoring and reverse mentoring. I like that a lot. Yeah. Well, what does the future look like for you? What is the next couple of years? Verado, 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 Verado. So we are excited to um, continue to grow this company. It's, it's a mission-driven organization and our employees are so mission engaged. It's, it's really kind of awe-inspiring to see how engaged they are around this making sure that patient data is accurate and what that means for the world of healthcare and for each of us. 
Uh, and so I'm just excited to continue to grow this company with our team and uh, see where we could take it. That's awesome. Paige, when you're not busy working, what do you like to do for fun in your free time? Yeah, you will find me uh, on a lacrosse pitch somewhere watching uh, my favorite my favorite little girl who is not a little girl anymore. Uh, I like to read as well. I don't do as much of it as I used to uh, just for a number of hours in the day. And we like to travel. And, and I will tell you that we're, you know, with COVID and sort of, you know, the lack of travel, I'm, I'm feeling that pull right now. I, uh, my husband and I were driving around somewhere yesterday and I looked at him and said, I need to get out of here. Or, we need, I got to go somewhere. We need to travel. So we're going to, uh, we've got some plans this summer to, you know, God willing and the creek don't rise. Now that's a Texas colloquialism, uh, which means if COVID doesn't, you know, blossom back up, uh, we're going to get out of Dodge a little bit and do some traveling. Oh, that's great. Where are you, where are you planning to head to? So uh, my daughter, we asked her if she would like uh, a um, graduation party or if she wanted to travel. Uh, and she said travel, hands down, didn't even blink. Uh, and she's always wanted to go to Paris. And so I think we're going to try to make that happen for her. Um, and probably three or four days there, and then we'll pick somewhere else three or four days and, and, and just get out of Dodge, spend some time as a family and see some new sites for her. Yeah. The great thing about Paris is that you can just jump on the train and you're yeah. in a different country. That's Absolutely. what we did. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. It's yes. the best. Yeah. I'm going to try to get them to agree to go to Switzerland, Paris, and then Switzerland. I don't know if I'm going to win that one, but um, <laughs> that's my plan. But shh, don't tell them. <laughs> that's great. Paige, if people want to learn more about you and the company, where can they find out more information or connect with you? So our website, uh, you've got a little bio of me there, uh, and you can connect with me on LinkedIn, Paige Cox Lisk, or uh, my email, which is page.lisk at dorado.com. Paige, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you, I appreciate you having me. Of course, the pleasure was all mine. Thank you, Not take care. Thanks so much, Adam. <laughs> appreciate it. You're welcome. If you haven't done so already, please make sure to subscribe to the show and leave a review and comment and let me know what you think. Thank you, and I'll see you all very soon on the next episode.